Hello and welcome to Arts Talk Radio. I'm Michael Hasted. We bring you interviews as well as news and reviews relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, concentrating on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and everything in between or nearby. Arts Talk Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. This week we are dedicating the programme to Opera Melancholica, the new production from Opera Today. The show has been created around the Philip Glass Opera, The Fall of the House of Usher. I'm at the theatre in Skidam, where the company is busy rehearsing, and today started to do some run-throughs. Before things got started, I spoke to the musical director. But first, I wanted to know a bit about the company, which is based in The Hague. And earlier, I spoke to its managing director, Alice Gubler. Um, we exist now for 12 and a half years. It started with Serge and Anon um, together um, doing an exam of, of Anon at the conservatorium here in The Hague, where he studied. Um, and that worked so well. It was fantastic. It was all students and everybody doing it in their free time. And it was really a little bomb of energy, how we call it now. Um, and it really clicked. Um, two years later, there was an idea of the conservatorium together with Anon um, and another stage director to do, uh, actually Michael Chance was the one initiating it, to do an Agrippina. I worked at that time at the conservatorium. They asked me if I would do the production that's how we found together, uh, or found ourselves. And um, from there on, we have been working. In the beginning, it was per project, every two years a project. But quite quickly, we started getting regular money from the community of, uh, of the municipality of The Hague. That's since 2012. Um, and since then, we actually have been growing to produce more and more regularly. So how many shows do you do a year now? We do one big show every year, which we tour, which is very special. We tour like 25 times through the whole country. That's quite a lot for opera, so that also means that singers uh, stay with us for almost five months um, when they work with us. Um, that is our main production, so this, that is this one. But we found out that actually in our own co-productions, we always co-produce with others, like now we work with the New European Ensemble or with Capino Ballet. And we found out that actually co-producing is really enriching on all fronts. So it's, of course, it's financially great because you can actually do much more together than what you could do alone, all of the different companies. But mostly, um, artistically, it really, um, yeah, it really enriches a production. So we started also looking around where can we enrich others, where can we work also on other, uh, on other ways with people and co-produce in that sense. Um, so we do also quite some co-productions, like now with the Reise Opera de Orfeo, where we do, where we're responsible for the musical part, so the orchestra and the whole musical interpretation with Anon as a conductor. Um, but we also have worked last year, for example, with the um, big theatre company here in Holland, and we did together um, 
Amadeus, the, the piece, and so also there we were responsible of finding and training musicians that were really also on stage, were not only playing their uh, instruments but also really acting. Mm. Also like our, our auditions are not only auditions, we, we call them also working sessions. So actually, yes, we have an audition part where they just sing, but then we start working with them on musical interpretation, um, but also just on acting, we give them exercises and we work with them and we just see how does it click, does it work and is that really the actor, singer, singer, actor we need for our mm. pieces. Okay, I think that, that will do. Thank you very much indeed. So, Emlyn Stamm, Artistic Director of the New European Ensemble. And do you often uh, accompany opera? Yeah, usually one or two different opera productions a season. And what's the lineup of your, your band, your orchestra, ensemble? The ensemble has a flexible lineup, so usually we do projects with somewhere around five to in the in the biggest setting around 20, 25 musicians. So very flexible, just depending we choose the instrumentation, depending on the repertoire that we want to play. But we have 17 fixed members. And what, what, how, how is this opera scored? For 12 musicians. Uh, so you have the five strings, um, three woodwinds, French horn, percussion, keyboard, synthesizer keyboard, and um, electric guitar. And I think for some of the, some of the time, you're, are you all on stage, or some of you are on stage all the time? We start the performance with a string quartet and percussionist on stage. And then everyone ends up in the pit. And there's also a kind of uh, surprise pre-program where musicians are encountering members of the audience in an unexpected way. Is, is Philip Glass, uh, is it difficult or easy or...? Philip Glass, basically the challenge there is that because he's, he writes in a really minimalist style, so he repeats the material a lot and um, a lot of it is very rhythmically regular and continuous. The challenge is really to make a story out of it, to give it a long line, to make each repeat meaningful, to give it variation so that it doesn't turn into something which becomes dull and repetitive, to really make the music come alive. But it's quite difficult, isn't it, being repetitive and just playing over and over again. You really have to concentrate. Absolutely. And also you're, you're, you're repeating things so many times that it's easy to forget, oh, do I have to play this eight times or ten or twelve, and before you know it, you've lost you where you are. jump five pages. Yeah. <laughs> I'm now in the foyer of the theatre, and I need to explain a little bit about the production. A show has been created around the fall of the House of Asher opera. A sort of prologue has been added in which a psychiatrist character will deliver a lecture on melancholia before introducing the case of Roderick Usher, which is the opera itself. Before the show starts, some medical assistants in white coats will circulate in the foyer, along with some of the musicians, and they, they'll be asking the audience about their dreams and if they have any experience of depression and such like. This information will then be used by the psychiatrist to interact with the audience during his lecture. And I've just had the tables turned on me by being interviewed myself by a young lady with a clipboard. So what are you going to do with this information? When you know all about me, what are you going to do with that, with your, with your clipboard? Um, yeah, we just uh, look it all through and uh, look what people say and uh, stuff. And then what? And then you will see. Will my secrets be safe with you? Oh, yeah, oh, of course, right. of course. That's okay. Right, next question. Okay, but also not things you really want to um, 
doing in life, like ah. uh, get millionaire or something well, like that. Actually, I did buy some lottery tickets today. Oh. So that would be a little dream. But they always say, be careful of what you dream for. Yeah, that's true. Your dreams are always perfect. The reality is the problem. Oh, yeah. Have you got room to write that down? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to just write some words down. And, uh, yeah, so I, oh, look, I'm a musician. We've been joined by a French oh, horn yeah. player. Fantastic. My name is Mats Janet. Yeah. And you're the horn player? I'm the horn player. One uh, of the two horn players. One of the two horn players. Splitting the yeah. And you're here because you're wandering around with the girls with their clipboards exactly. playing a little tune, as you did just exactly. for me. Exactly. Yeah. I was, I was asking about um, whether it was difficult or easy or, or neutral to play Philip Glass because there's a, a lot of repetition. I mean, you're yeah. not, do you the, find that difficult? No. Um, it's, um, it, you need to get into a completely different mindset. This is now you're playing more effects than melodies, and you need to really feel the whole. I mean, you, you're creating an atmosphere. That's basically what we're doing. And as you will hear in the performance, there is yeah a lot of repetitions and there's a lot of what you call moods that is mm. being set by the ensemble. And once you find your function within the uh, within the mood, you just have to basically almost like space out and just go with it. And be part of be part of the mood. It's a different mindset. And as so say specialists within contemporary music, this is what we what we do. And to find this way of I mean, I know plenty of my colleagues who would struggle maybe a little with this because it would be so um, it's so different. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for certain people it might be very difficult to play. But after I mean, once you collected a bit of experience with this kind of music, then I would say you, you learn to enjoy it. Okay, thank yeah. you very much indeed. I look forward to, yes. uh, to seeing you play. You, are you going to be playing on stage? Uh, no, not on stage. Oh, I'll be, okay. I'll be in, the, in the pit. I should look out for you. Yeah, <laughs> if you can see us, we're <laughs> far down. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Uh, my name is Serge van Vechel. I'm artistic leader of Opera Today and the stage director of this performance you're visiting tonight. And this is, uh, this is basically uh, Philip Glass's Fall of the House of Usher, but you've sort of expanded that by having um, a narrator. Um, and you've used that to, to I suppose, enhance large. Well, actually, it's a bit different. Basically, the opera vaporized within a new concept. Ah. So, um, because it's a piece about the melancholic. And um, what we do, we present in this performance, you are invited to the anatomic theater of the psyche. So instead of uh, looking into the corpse, we look into the mind. Mm. And if you look at Philip Glass's piece, the, the Poe story, basically it is an allegory of uh, three parts of the mind, you could say. So uh, the, the main character, Roderick, the melancholic guy, is basically always in his thoughts. So it's, he's thinking and he has a, a twin sister which is a ghost-like figure, which is feeling, you could say. And uh, the 
uh, the, he, they are visited by a kind of uh, somebody that comes to look at them, a, youth, a friend of the youth, which is a kind of uh, a, a spectator, so consciousness or inner spectator, you could say. So basically, that allegory it is a kind of allegory for the mind, for the for the for the the, the, the human psyche. And what we do in this anatomical theater, we invite people and we explain basically how it works. So uh, uh, you, you have that's a real 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 thing that you there's something called folia de. Uh, which means that if you are together in a space for a longer time with a person that uh, has psychosis, uh, you also start seeing what that person sees. And basically in our anatomical theater, we do a folie à mille. So we start looking in the mind of Roderick Usher and we start seeing what uh, he sees. And uh, uh, so uh, the, 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 when we explained what it is and, and we got into this world, uh, the, cases of, the case of Roderick Usher is presented. So basically we see the, the, in the mind of, the, of, uh, of Roderick Usher and that is the opera of Philip Glass. But it, it is now the case within our anatomical theatre of uh, yeah, looking inside his brain. And it sounds fantastic. And you do physically look inside because the, the main part of the set is a, is a giant, what, three, four metre high perspex skull. Yes. And, and the lid comes off of that. Yes, yeah, indeed. And, that, and we have a Dutch expression saying that lifting the skull is kind of looking into the mind of somebody. So ah, okay. in that sense, it was not literally how that idea came uh, to us. But it, uh, it is there. It is, we, we lift the skull and so, then so you look the, into the mind. So the basic mind. set is like, uh, an old-fashioned anatomical uh, yes. Uh, yes. operating theatre. Yeah, we have a beautiful one here in Holland, in, in, uh, in Leiden. I've seen it, I've seen yeah. it. So the tiers are uh, like basically circular. It's like a sort of mini football stadium, and yeah. everybody stands around yes. watching the operating theatre in the, in the middle, and you've got this giant this giant skull. Yeah. Edgar Allan Poe must be a, a, a director's dream, really, because there's so much you could do with it. Yes, indeed. And, and actually, uh, uh, I started reading Poe. Po, I missed a bit. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I studied modern literature, but I, I, Poe was in a way always uh, absent but it's very strange and I also thought it was a bit of a horror ghost story writer and then when you start reading it, it's superbly it's it's really uh, it's a scientist writing about a supernatural uh, phenomenon Absolutely. for example and um, uh, we uh, uh, when I did my whole research uh, you, you see that these kind of stories are so layered, so in that sense uh, you can make a horror story of out, of, out of it, but it's not how Poe writes. He doesn't write on effect, for example. He writes more on, on how the brain works or something, and that's what we worked upon with. I think he had a lot of bad press because there were all these cheap films made, these Roger Corman films in the 19, early 1960s, and they were really... They Corny. Quite, well, yeah. they, they, they weren't good quality, weren't top yes. quality films, and Vincent Price was hanging yeah. it up. So I think that that was the image people have got of, of Edgar Allan Poe. But as you said, he was, he was a great writer. Yes, yeah, a superb and, writer, yes. And I think th for, as far as uh, dramatization is concerned, I mean, a, a, a yeah. gift for a director. And, uh, and the, 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 the wonder is that, that, it, that, that he came from Baltimore, that the Baltimore composer, uh, Philip Glass, is from the same region, uh, wrote this so many years later, this music, which is also fitting to it very well. It's a surprising piece because uh, I knew Glass as a... Uh, um, uh, f from the Rocky Mountains, like pieces like Einstein on the Beach or, beach or something, They're very abstract art pieces. Uh, and this is really an opera. It's really Puccini drama in the sense of dialogues and of uh, finale and uh, emotions. And uh, it's very it's, special. It, it, it's only it's a small cast, isn't it? It's only three principal singers yeah. or four? Three, yeah, three? four. Yeah. Four. Yeah. yeah. But you'll do something completely original and unique then. 
Yeah. You're okay. Well, yeah. thanks very much for that. I shall yes. let you get back and I shall look forward to seeing the run through in a minute. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Yeah. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> you really have such a beautiful radio uh, ending of this, of this sentence. Oh, beautiful. thank you. <laughs> The run-through has just started, but there's quite a long introduction, and I'm in the dressing room where I've just about got time to talk to the three male singers. OK, hello, my name is Santiago Burgi. I'm a singer and actor from Argentina, and I'm very honoured to be playing the part of Roderick Usher in this production of Opera Melancolica, The Fall of the House of Usher. Was this a story you were familiar with before? Yes, yes, I'm a huge Alan Poe fan and, and the old the old films of yes yes I love them all I love horror movies and I read all the stories of Edgar Allan Poe so I was really excited about it when I when they first told me about this project I didn't know the music yet but I instantly liked it very much and I feel it's a very very dramatic piece and it goes very well with the with the story and I yeah I think we're kind of making a, a, a very good mix between music, theatre, what you can see, what you can hear, and what you can feel. I think, I think Edgar Allan Poe is a, is a perfect vehicle for, Absolutely. For, for experimenting or doing something new or new interpretation. Yes, yes. And I, and I must say for our listeners that you look nothing like Vincent Price at all. Ah, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, the Vincent Price films, the Roger Corman films, were, were they were not fantastic. They were a bit of kitsch. They were well, well kitsch. yes, yeah. Well, it's, it's part of the enchantment they have. E exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes. they, they're so bad they became good. Yes. So, well. is, is singing Philip Glass, have you, have you sung Philip Glass before? It's the first time I have the honour of singing Philip Glass. I really liked his music. I only knew his uh, film music, Truman Show and The Hours, and all that. I, I really liked it. Is it is it demanding? Is it difficult or? Well, is it difficult? It is difficult drama, the dramatic part. Mm. It is not difficult from a technique point of view. It is really it is really theatre. So it, it it is written in a way that well you cannot fake it. You have to do it and feel it. So I think it's very well written. You really are not thinking about the voice or the singing. You're just being being it. So yeah, I because, think it's very well written. But it, it sticks, I think, quite closely to the plot. It, it is actually a, a story. It's not. It, like, yes, 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 it Philip is. Philip Glass sometimes is, is maybe a little bit obscure or not. Very well, I think it, that that's why I think it, 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 his music goes very well with the, with the plot and with the story. And he has all, all the all the classic Philip Glass, uh, uh, how do you say, tricks. Oh, I will. That's a bit cool. <laughs> but we know what you mean. Yes. Uh, Re -re recognizable absolutely, traits. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> From the first bar, it is very recognizable. And I think it really goes very well, very well with the music. And I think well, the 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 singing part, it is is not demanding. What I what I meant is what I tried to say. It is not demanding from a, from a technique point of view. It is demanding from a dramatic point of view. So the good the, the best thing that he does uh, doesn't let you think about what you're singing or about the music. You're thinking about the the text and the script. So because I, I think this is one thing that that's changed with opera in the last uh, I don't know. 20 years yeah. before opera singers used to be fat they used to just stand there and sing but now you you have to look okay Absolutely. and you have to be able to act yes well it, for me it's it is really musical theater this this piece is is really close to i don't know to Jekyll and Hyde and all those kind of gothic uh, musicals so for me yes it's much closer to that and to some of rock 
I think because Edgar Allan Poe has been a, always a source of inspiration for rock music. And yes. Yes. So I and as I, I'm a rock musician also, so for me it touches me in a very intimate way. So I, f I feel like I'm uh, making a little of all of my words. I'm I'm trying. I'm combining on stage my operatic, my musical theater, and my rock and roll world in the same character. I really feel it. So, what do you work out normally? What's the, the predominant thing in your career? Well, I sing opera because, mm. but I, I sing opera because it's what uh, you're, they you're call, a tenor, I take it. Yes, mm. because it's what they call me for the most. It's not. I really love everything I do, but uh, the and last. You, and you sing the classical repertoire. Yes, yes, of course. Mm. Yes, I'm, 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 I sing a lot of Mozart. All the Mozart tenors, I sang them all. <laughs> yes, but the mo the I like the thing I lo I love most is rock and roll. Yes, but well, this last years has been all Mozart, <laughs> and it has been very fun and demanding. And yes, but I, I would love to continue my career trying to shift from one side to the other and jumping from stone to stone is what I enjoy the most. Well, yeah. sounds fantastic. Yeah. Well, I should look forward to hearing it. Okay. Thank you very much indeed. It was a pleasure. Hi, my name is Drew Santini. I'm singing the role of William in this opera. And William is in, in the book is a sort of narrator, isn't it? Yeah. So, so what, what, what's your part? What do you, function do you fulfill in this? So, um, as as Roderick Usher um, loses his mind, um, he calls for his friend to come and uh, to comfort him, um, a friend from childhood. And so this is William. He arrives and uh, not having seen his friend for many, many years, they say since childhood, and William shows up with not much of a plan, but just hoping that he can be of some of some help. Can we basically quickly outline the the story? Sure. It's uh, that that um, Roderick Usher is has a twin sister, right, Madeline, and she dies, or at least they think she dies. And this is a, a continuing theme with Edgar Allan Poe about premature burial. Right, burial. right, right. They bury they put people in the ground in a coffin with a little bell just in case. Yeah, they're, exactly, they're, exactly. <laughs> they're not dead. And that happens. She she dies. In fact, like quite a ways into the into the opera. At the beginning, she is quite alive, actually. Um, and she's sick, and she's resting in bed, and um, her sickness is taking over. Um, and at some point, she does die. And we um, sort of ceremonially bury her um, in the original. In the original story, they bury her in the cellar of the um, to be handy, house to be handy just in case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, and which is why she also reappears. And I think I think in the, mm. in the original, the, the his bed is directly above the coffin. So the, I think that's true. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. All, all a bit strange. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, during the course of this this illness and her subsequent death, I think. Um, uh, Roderick go, goes mad, I think. He goes mad, and it's and it's sort of the the magic of this piece is that the house is also like a fifth character in this uh, situation. Because where I think when 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 your character arrives, you notice yeah. that the, 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 there's a big crack going exactly. through the, the center exactly. of the house. Exactly, and uh, you know, in our production, everything is very um, symbolic, and so um, we've taken it and to mean something a little bit different. But indeed, in the original, he arrives to a house that is very old and has been in the family for generations and generations and seems to have an effect on whoever lives there in a negative way. So he's the last, they're there, the Madeline and Roderick are the last
last two living ushers and they and somehow the house is in fact driving them mad or killing them as it did with Madeline. Mm. And um, but, but in this production, you don't actually have the house. It, it's taking place in a, in a sort of anatomical. Yeah, um, sort of inside the, the mind theater. actually yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of 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 Roderick, but also inside what we see is that we it's sort of his his world, his mind inside his sort of um, uh, uh, insane asylum situation so he's being watched by a by a doctor um, and everything that happens in fact happens inside his his psyche in the show all sounds pretty scary to me yeah. we shall see thanks yeah. very much indeed yeah, my pleasure yeah great i'm georgi stoyanov and i play the medic in this um opera plus i'm the second cast of the main role roderick okay. So what exactly does your medic role entail? Because this is being done very much as a sort of medical production, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, the interesting thing is that in the original opera, it's two roles, um, which last about th three minutes together. So it's quite a luxury to have two different people for that. One is the servant who invites uh, William to see his old friend, Roderick. And one is the doctor of the family, who also gets a bit suspicious, is he somehow involved in keeping the family in such bad conditions? So um, I really like that it's kind of a double character you are a bit afraid of and you are not sure about his intentions, yet he's the one who should keep the family safe. Um, and in our production, because there is really a doctor on stage who gives a half an hour lecture before the actual opera about the stages of melancholy and how to be treated with that. I am representing him in the head of Roderick. So I am the singing copy of the of the doctor. And we have the same costume and uh, I'm the one who... And a sort of alter ego. Yes, a singing alter ego. So, um, Not an alto ego. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> And um, yeah, he, we, we had some experimenting of how to find this character because it could be interpreted in so many ways. And we did keep a bit this um, cold and uh, mystical sort of spooky house it, doctor. It, it, it does all sound a bit spooky. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, we are observing a patient who has split personalities, but actually the doctor seemed to have as well ah. a split personality. So that's, that's a funny one. Yes, yeah, Dr. Hill yourself. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much for that. I've now crept into the auditorium where the doctor has just done his bit with the audience and the fall of the House of Usher is just starting. Roderick is writing a letter to his friend William, asking him to visit and help him in his hour of need. I know you will come. No other reply is necessary. Your spirit will cheer me, I am certain. Yes, for your impending visage, I am already grateful. Leave now, William. I need you. Thank you. 
that's all for this week and this is Michael Hasted reporting for Arts Talk Radio. We'll play ourselves out listening to a couple of minutes from the beginning of Philip Glass's The Fall of the House of Usher by Opera Today.